That would be appreciated. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son this morning in our series on the miracles and parables of Jesus. As you open to Luke 15, I've asked Alan Ballard, one of our youth leaders, to just read the passage through for us this morning, kind of to break up me speaking so much. It's a lengthy passage. Um, and right before he does that, he just has a quick announcement about uh, a youth event that's today. Uh, yes, we have youth uh, high school lunch today. So um, if you're in high school, go grab a lunch, bring it back here a couple of hours. If you need a ride home or something, we can take care of that. So I'd like you to have, be a part of that. Reading from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's not lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods the, the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his, in his hand and his shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son who is dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf, calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet yeah, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Is it fitting to celebrate? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together and ask God to help us as we look at His Word together this morning. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to be so kind and gracious to us that you have revealed who you are, what you are like through this word that you have given to us. These scriptures are not primarily a list of do's and don'ts, but you are calling us to see you, to reveal who you are and how you have chosen to relate with us. Help us to see you more clearly this morning Help us to love you more because of what we see. We pray this to the only one who's able to answer these prayers. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Amen. Well, this is a story that seems well, rather timeless. I mean, after all, there are many among us even now, that can identify quickly with the wayward son who recklessly pursues his own way. And this picture of the loving father scanning the horizon for his lost son, running after him and rejoicing at his return, well, frankly, that needs little to no cultural translation. The 2,000 years since Jesus told this there, these are pictures that are vivid, that are easy to understand and appreciate and see ourselves in this story. Many have found hope 
in their need of redemption and forgiveness through the picture that is shown here. And it stands for many as a favorite parable um, for reasons that are not difficult to comprehend. But I'll admit, um, growing up in the church, being eh, what I would consider a fairly good kid, that I thought this was a great story, a wonderful picture of the loving Father. Yet, to be quite honest, I didn't see it particularly relating to me. Great story. Beautiful, beautiful picture that's painted. But I didn't see myself as the prodigal, and so that's about as far as my appreciation went. It's good, it's just not personal. And that largely remained my attitude till seven or eight years ago when I was made aware that there was a lot I was missing because I wasn't viewing uh, this parable in the context that Luke really places it in. I just saw it stand alone as a story. But Jesus told this parable to a particular audience for a particular purpose. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. So as we begin in, in verse 1, we see Luke tell us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now we potentially miss some big pieces if we just pick up in verse 12 where the start of the story of the two sons begins. If we miss the setting of this parable. And when I say this parable, there's even some debate and some legitimate question from how uh, Luke introduces this series of three accounts as to whether this is rightly identified as one long parable with three parts that makes up the whole of chapter 15, or if it's three that are interconnected with one another. Now, I'm not seeking to come down hard on either side of that particular debate because that's not our point this morning. But what I would want us to realize as we engage with this story this morning is that Jesus did tell all of these together and he did so for a purpose because with all three he had a common aim that he was driving at. He was purposely using the first two to set up the third. So what is his aim? Again, we return to verse 3 where it says, So he told them this parable. Them who? Jesus is surrounded by sinners who are coming to him. He's welcoming them. And the scribes and Pharisees are grumbling against him because he's eating with them, receiving them. And so this parable, Luke tells us, is a direct response to the complaints of the scribes and the Pharisees. They are the them Jesus is telling this parable or this series to. 
And the next 30 verses are all in response to this setup. So we see as after this setting that Luke provides the first account of a shepherd who has lost one of his sheep. And he leaves the 99 to go and to pursue until he finds his sheep and brings it back and calls his friends together to celebrate with him at what has been restored to him. And then it continues on that a woman who had 10 silver coins loses one and she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches and searches until the coin is found. Again, calling her friends and neighbors to come and to celebrate with her of what has been restored to her. We see from these first two a very clear pattern. Something is lost. It's searched for until found. And then there's a party once it is recovered. And then after each of these first two stories, we have a similar refrain about the joy in heaven over a single repentant sinner, which really leaves for us no doubt that what Jesus is intending to do is make a direct frontal assault on the Pharisees' grumbling attitude toward his reception of sinners. Then we see the account of the two sons begin, and, and we start with the younger son, we're told, who comes to his father, asks for his inheritance now, a great insult to the father who's still alive, and then goes and squanders it with foolish living until he is at the end of himself in squalor, doing things that are unclean and where he is just... Uh, He's at the bottom of the barrel. He is living with the pigs, desiring to eat their food. And for a Jew, the, the pig itself was an unclean animal, so that there's just multiple layers of his disgrace that are going on until he comes to his senses and says, well, gosh, in, in my father's house, his servants eat better than this. I know I've disgraced myself. I don't deserve to be called his son, but perhaps he'll let me return as a servant. And he comes and the father sees him from afar and runs after him and weeps over him. He dismisses his speech and calls for the fattened calf, the robes, the rings, Again, we're going to have a party. And, and if this is just the redemption story of a rebellious son being restored to a loving father, frankly, this is a great ending spot. In fact, I've heard sermons and songs about this parable end right here. It gives great symmetry with the other stories, a nice closure to the whole account. The only problem is that's not where Jesus stops he continues with information that we had no prior knowledge of and he brings in this older brother who's well he's kind of a jerk who's stayed and labored and worked for his father for these 
years this time that his brother has been off squandering his inheritance and he's ticked off when he hears what his father has done in welcoming him back home. And this account ends with dad and older brother outside the party. And we're really left to wonder what is his response? What is he going to do? I I don't want to tell Jesus how to tell a story, but I think maybe, maybe he got a little caught up in the moment, just kept on going before he knew how to finish. Because this seems really incomplete, unnecessary if we look at the rest of the stories that have just been told to us. It's kind of awkward how this whole thing ends. We don't know the final result. We're just left with dad pleading with big brother to come in. Well, of course, Jesus didn't just get carried away and not know how to resolve this story. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, I want to make a quick disclaimer as we go through the rest of this time together. Because um, my intention as we unpack this parable is not to focus primarily on the Father and His great love. It's an amazing story and a beautiful picture of God's compassion and love for us. But uh, for a couple of reasons, it's not going to be our primary focus this morning. One is, is simply time and the limitation of what we have in our time together, and I'm fairly aware that if you've heard messages on this, if you've been affected by this, more than likely, that's a message that you've heard and benefited from and seen more of God in, and I don't want to take anything away from that. The other reason, the main reason, is that as we clarify the context a little bit that Luke was writing this parable in, I think we're going to see someone else another character much more clearly in this account, someone that is often overlooked. And for me, this is the thing that really helped change my perspective of this parable and helped me see and appreciate much more what was going on as Jesus told these stories. Again, the scribes and the Pharisees were complaining about Jesus and his willingness to welcome and associate with sinners. So Jesus uses these three connected parables to reveal God's heart toward the lost. In them, Jesus is revealing not just truths about God. He's revealing what his mission is in coming as God and being sent by the Father He is the main character in this progression of interrelated parables because he is the one that's being complained against and being doubted. The focus of this story is an explanation and defense of the one telling the story. The prodigal isn't a feel-good, generic parable. This story doesn't tell the whole story until it is put together with the two stories before it and the storyteller. 
See, Jesus portraying himself as a shepherd going after the lost sheep isn't a stretch at all. That's, that's a picture that we are already familiar with. And following that example, seeing the attitude, seeing his attitude towards sinners in a woman searching for her lost coin, well, that's not hard to see either. But where do we see him in the parable of the prodigal? And this is where context matters. Jesus sets up key details in the parable of the prodigal to contrast the two parables, the two stories immediately preceding it. And in doing so, he paints a picture of the need for a true older brother, the role that he came to fulfill. And he does it by telling us instead of this flawed older brother. What do I mean? He, he told three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and finally the lost son. All three have some obvious similarities. Each one has something important lost and then recovered. Each one ends with celebration over what is found. There is no joy in heaven refrain after the third story. But there is another difference that is even more striking. In the first two stories, someone searches for and pursues that which is missing. The woman seeks diligently and the shepherd goes after the one that is lost. They are determined in their task and they stop at nothing until their search has been rewarded. Then they return with the lost one and call their friends in for a celebration, but no one searches for the lost son. No one pursues him. And a quick comparison of these three accounts clearly shows that this one, this last one, the lost son, has much more value and worth than either the first two. Whether it's because that it's a person, a son that we're talking about, or even the number. You see this progression as Jesus goes through the stories. One of 100 sheep, one of 10 coins for a widow who has nothing else, one of two sons. The, the value is clearly ramping up, and yet we don't see someone going out after the son. By putting these parables back to back, Jesus intends for this difference to be a startling one. He wants the thoughtful listener to ask who should have gone out after the lost son. He wants the difference to be glaring. Now God's response to Cain after he murdered Abel makes clear that Cain should have been his brother's keeper. He clearly failed utterly in that regard. But to the Middle Eastern hearer of Jesus' story, well, the older brother in this account fails big time too. You see, there's a reason that Jesus identifies the age order of the brothers in this story. The prodigal is the younger, the older is the one who stayed. Jesus is crafting this parable purposefully. Remember, this, this isn't a true account. This is a parable. He's telling it for a reason. There's something he wants to accomplish and get across. 
He could have said that there were two brothers, one left, one stayed, but yet he tells the details. It was the younger one who left. It was the older one who stayed. Why is that birth order significant in this parable? Well, because the actions we see of the older brother are not the true or behaviors of a true older brother. In this culture, the firstborn had significant responsibilities toward the family, which is why the law granted him a double portion of the inheritance. Firstborn sons had a leadership role within the family, second only to their fathers. They were entrusted at the death of the father with the care of mother and any unwed sisters. They had primary responsibility in all family business, seeking to protect the family's property and reputation. Now, this, this is something that, that we see play out a little bit in the story of Joseph. I mean, as we look at Joseph's story, all the brothers get a bad rap, and, well, in many ways, rightly so. But there is a distinction that the account does give of Reuben, the oldest, the firstborn. As he hears of the plot to kill Joseph, his brothers conspiring, he hears of this plot and he convinces his brothers, no, let's not do this. Just put him in a cistern for now because this passage reveals that his intention was to come back later and to rescue Joseph. Now, he is off tending to the business when the brothers see a band come by and decide to sell him. Reuben comes back again when he is seeking to save his brother and finds that they have sold him and he's very grieved by this. Now, he had some other issues go on. Read the whole story, great. Um, but even at the end, when Joseph has, is kind of uh, second in command of all of Pharaoh's land in Egypt, um, the account tells how 10 brothers go um, and they are to bring back grain for the, famine, for the family in the famine. And Jacob doesn't want to send his son Benjamin because that's something Joseph is doing. He hasn't revealed who he is yet. And again, we see Reuben step up and, and offer the life of his two sons in exchange for the safe passage, the guarantee of safe passage for Benjamin. He's taking responsibility for the family as the eldest brother. We see him multiple times in the account step up in different ways. Now, Jesus' hearers would have anticipated the older brother in this story to act much differently than what the one is that Jesus told. Instead of giving him the traits expected of a godly older brother, Jesus is telling this story with the Pharisees as the older brother. He's using the older brother here to reveal the shortcomings of their attitudes towards the sinner's that Jesus is welcoming. He's pointing out that their response doesn't line up with the Father's heart to restore and redeem, to pursue that which is lost. And contrasted with the pursuit of the shepherd and the woman for much less valuable items, the Pharisees' attitude towards the lost and their attitude towards God is revealed to be seriously deficient. Jesus is 
revealing his mission by setting himself up as the antithesis of the big brother in this story. Jesus is altogether different than the religious leaders the people are used to in the form of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the combined weight of these three stories together suggests that if the Pharisees were truly representing God's heart, they would not only be celebrating the conversion of sinners, but actively joining God in his mission. That's what a true older brother would do. And that is precisely what Jesus is revealing that he came to do. A couple chapters later in Luke, when Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, another controversial pursuit of a known and despised sinner, Jesus just states plainly that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what I'm about. That's what I have come to do. That's why I spend time with who I spend time. See, Jesus is revealing as our true older brother that he is our keeper. A true older brother would do exactly what the shepherd and the woman did, seeking that which was lost. A true older brother would have said, Father, my brother has been a fool. Yes, he's been a fool and now his life is in ruins. But I will look for him. I will seek to bring him home. And if his inheritance is gone, as I suspect, I will bring him back into the family at my expense. Friends, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He left heaven to follow us to a far off country, nothing like the privileged position he enjoyed at the right hand of the Father from all eternity past. The angels and the heavenly creatures continually worshiping him, giving him praise and honor. He enjoyed constant fellowship and love with the Father. And yet, he left heaven to come and to become one of us in order to pursue us, in order to pay the penalty our sins deserved, that penalty without which we have no access to God. We deserve only his wrath. And he came as the Father's ambassadors to do the Father. He came as the Father's ambassador to do a work that we, the lost, weren't looking for or asking for. He is the seeker in our relationship. He's taken the responsibility for our sin and desertion upon himself. Jesus is our true older brother who seeks and saves the lost. Now, one of the great things about 
Christ as our true older brother is that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. The Pharisee version of the older brother had no sympathy for his foolish and sinful brother. If the prodigal's speech had been made to the older brother, well, given what we see in this account, I'm not sure his older brother would have received him back even as a servant. He wanted nothing to do with him. But the good news is we have Jesus as our older brother. Sinners are welcomed by him. The lost are pursued by him. Prodigals are embraced. As was read this morning during our time of worship from Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He isn't the older brother who stands from afar with his arms crossed saying, shouldn't have done that. You've squandered your inheritance and now you're getting exactly what you deserve. Serves you right. You deserve to be in the slop with the pigs. Jesus' disposition towards sinner is not a scolding. You need to get your act together. The older brother in the story was doing exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were refusing even to associate with sinners, with the lost, with those caught in their sins. And Jesus is doing the opposite. He's pursuing them. He's calling them down out of sycamore trees. He's dying and celebrating with them. Just like the shepherd pursued the lost sheep and the woman searched for her lost coin. Edmund Clowney writes about this passage. The true older brother is not only willing to go in with sinners to heaven's feast. Far more, he has come to look for sinners where they are. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He seeks out tax collectors. He finds a fallen woman by a well in Samaria and speaks forgiveness to a murderer crucified with him. We do not understand this parable if we forget who told it and why. Jesus Christ is our older brother, the firstborn of the Father. He is the seeking shepherd who goes out to find the lost. This parable is incomplete if we forget that our older brother is not a Pharisee, but Jesus. He does not merely welcome us home as the brother did not he comes to find us in the pig pen put his arms around us and says come home some of us can relate a little too well to the pig pen this morning life is a mess you feel like you're far away from your father Jesus here would be revealing it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. 
doesn't matter what the mess is that you find yourself in right now. Your true older brother is calling your name, saying, come home. Don't let the fact that you're in a far off place make you think that he isn't right there with you, putting his arms around you, calling for you to be restored. Just because you may not even be able to see home from where you are, don't mistake your true older brother for the Pharisee in this story. You have an older brother that is pursuing you, and he won't rest until you are safe in the Father's arms. He's here now. He's pleading with you to come home. Christ as our older brother was one of us. He walked the earth and was tempted in every way. There is nothing that you are going through that he cannot sympathize with. His love and compassion is bigger than your sin. In fact, just as a reminder, it's our sin and our weaknesses that make his compassion necessary. They're the qualifiers for his ministry. It's the lost he came to seek and save. It's the, the sick that need the physician. If we could do this on our own, we wouldn't have needed our big brother to be sent on his rescue mission for us. Your sins and mistakes, your shortcomings and failures, they're what qualify you for his ministry. He isn't scared off by the pig pen. He came for sinners he says, not the righteous. Our repentance is what brings rejoicing in heaven. Not our thoughts that we're perfect already. He pursues us to where we are. Jesus is our brother. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because Jesus is our brother who sympathizes with our weaknesses, we can approach the Father with confidence. The reason for this parable was that sinners were being received. They were eating with Jesus. The first two stories highlight not the sheep or coin returning, but the shepherd searching and the woman turning her house upside down until the lost ones were found. This context really makes it kind of sad that the son in this third story really seems unsure whether he'll even be accepted. Making his speech, hoping for a spot at the servant's table. But again, remember who this parable is responding to. This is for the Pharisees. This is their language and their way of thinking. All about duty and earning favor which again we see not only here but reflected in the older brother's protest about serving his whole life, his father. I've been slaving away for you. It's all about what he's been doing for his father. And then bitter about how the father hasn't shown up for him with things like even a goat. 
that he might enjoy time with his friends. How, how different this parable would have been if Jesus put a true older brother in it. What would the prodigal's return have looked like if, if his older brother had pursued him and brought him back, arm around his shoulder? No doubt the father still would have been scanning the horizon, but this time no need for speeches about being made a servant, no fear or apprehension before the father, no need to win approval because he's already been accepted. He's already been brought back into the family. He knows his place is secure. Well, friends, because of what Jesus has done to bring us to the Father, we need never fear or wonder if we can approach God. He came to bring us to the Father. It's not about us making our way ourselves. Hebrews 4, again, what Chris read this morning. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Friends, Jesus came so we don't have to wonder whether I'll be accepted. It's not about did I say the right words in my speech to convince him that I really mean it this time. Or I understand the depth of which I've blown it. Our older brother has come after us. He says, come home. You don't need to wonder whether you'll be accepted by our father. I've already made sure. We're good to go. Think of how differently that walk home is knowing so let us not shrink back in our prayers or in our intimacy with the father because of unworthiness friends our worth is simply not the price of admission and it's never the condition of remaining with him Jesus is our brother he has brought us home we can approach the Father with confidence. Sometimes I really need that reminder. When guilt and condemnation make me want to run from God, make Him the last person that I want to see or be with, and I'm filled with guilt or shame, I need to remember that Jesus pursued me in my sin while I was still an enemy of God he died for me he didn't wait for me to figure it all out 
before I could come. He came after me to bring me to the Father, not because I've earned it, but because of the kind of older brother that he is. He wants the sinners gathering around him, the one the Pharisees were grumbling about, to know God's heart for them. But this parable, as we've pointed out, isn't really aimed at them. Because frankly, they've already been experiencing his heart as he's welcomed them and been dining with them. Luke said Jesus told this parable because of the Pharisees' complaint. He told this parable for them. And in leaving, the ending of this parable as unresolved. Leaving the older brother outside with a decision to make, Jesus was appealing to the older brothers in his crowd. The ones that he was telling this story to. He was not just trying to rebuke the Pharisees. He was doing that. But he was also trying to win them. It's well known that Jesus had lots of battles with the scribes and Pharisees. And he is clearly intending these three parables to be a strong rebuke regarding their attitude toward the lost. But the final portion of the parable contains something more than just rebuke. It's an appeal for them to come in and to relate on the basis of love and forgiveness rather than their earnings. It's a call to abandon their self-righteousness and their sinful judgment and enjoy relationship with him. See, the Pharisees thought they measured up and therefore had no need for a savior. Jesus is seeking to disabuse them of their illusion. But he's also seeking to make known that this same welcome and celebration are available to them. The awkward, unresolved ending of this parable is all about Jesus, the true older brother in the flesh before them, pleading with them to likewise repent and enjoy real relationship with God. See, there's only one way to join the party, and for neither the younger nor the older brother is that way, try harder. Rule-keeping is not the reason for celebration. Relationship is. Restored relationship with a generous father through our rescuing brother. He came in search of prodigals running far from God, And he came to redeem self-righteous Pharisees who mistakenly think they are good enough on their own. That's also a message I need. Actually, this is where I find myself much more. Someone who has thoughts of, I've never had huge rebellions, I've never gone the way of the prodigal, This is what changed my appreciation for this parable was seeing myself in the older brother of seeing that it was me trying to think that I was good enough. I didn't need a savior. 
I need this for the times I think that the gospel is only for other people and forget my own need. There is never a time that I come to God on my own accomplishments. Never. It is always only through the loving rescue of our true older brother. His sacrifice was necessary no matter how good I think I've been. And his sacrifice is sufficient no matter how bad I have been. Because of this, Jesus is our older brother and we are fellow heirs with him. When the father said to the older brother in the story, all I have is yours, he he was speaking the literal truth to the brother. The inheritance had already been divided. The prodigal had squandered his portion. All that remained was the inheritance of the older brother. In that sense, the younger brother could only be received back into the family at his older brother's good graces. The fattened calf, the robes, the rings, the party, they were rightfully the inheritance of the older brother. The problem in this story is that the prodigal has a Pharisee for an older brother. He won't even recognize his brother, instead referring to him as this son of yours. What marvelous good news that you and I don't have a Pharisee for an older brother. We have Jesus. He went at his own expense to a far off country to rescue us from our sin and despair and bring us into the family that we might share his inheritance. That which he truly did earn and deserve. That which we had no right or claim to. That favor from God that we disinherited ourselves from all the way back in the garden and actively lived out ever since Christ went so that we could share in his inheritance. If you are that prodigal, stop running. It's time to come to your senses. You have a true older brother who has come after you to bring you home. Rest in the comfort of his embrace. Rest in the way that he has made for you to be restored. You don't have to remain starving alone in your filth and shame. Come home. If you are that older brother, Jesus is calling you to. Don't remain outside the celebration because of your stubborn self-righteousness. You were made for relationship, not rules and checklists. The true older brother has come for you too so that you don't have to keep trying harder, striving in your own strength. You too can relate and enjoy the father. Enjoy the older brother. And stop judging them. Stop thinking you know better than God. For the rest of us, former prodigals, and Pharisees. We have a new identity now. Disciples. What is the call of this passage for us? My friends, disciples means followers. And this, if 
This passage is revealing the nature of Christ's mission. To seek and to save. Could it be that for us this parable is also an invitation to join him? To join him in his mission. Not to stand far off like the scribes and Pharisees, but to engage and welcome and pursue like our shepherd and true brother. We live in a city that has plenty of Pharisees and prodigals. Through this parable, Jesus reminds us that both are lost. Both are in need of his loving rescue mission. He reveals to us what his heart is toward the lost, and he gives passages like this to his disciples that we might be compelled to join him in his mission. No one is to be off limits in our pursuit. No one is good enough they don't need his salvation, and no one is so bad they are beyond his salvation. Maybe God wants you to stretch by venturing downtown on a Friday night He has put even a bit of desire in your heart. Follow him in that. Maybe he wants you to finally share the gospel with that neighbor or coworker you've been befriending. Maybe he's calling you to give generously to his mission. Maybe he's calling you to serve in other ways like Miracle Hill and Piedmont Women's Center. Ways that you can be part of seeking and saving the lost. These verses don't make those specifics explicit they just proclaim what god's heart is and then they tell us who not to be like ask the holy spirit to help you to discern what is your next step how would he have you be not just a hearer of this word but a doer to be joining him on mission to seek and to save We have a true older brother that has come to rescue prodigals and Pharisees. The wayward and the rule keepers. Both need to be saved from themselves and how far short they fall from the glory of God. May we grow in our love and appreciation and amazement at our true older brother. And his pursuit of all of us. And may we join him in his pursuit of those around us. Would you pray with me? Could we have the band come and lead us in a song? Lord, how good it is to know that we have... a great high priest, a brother who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who's not standing afar off telling us to get our act together, but who has come after us so that we can approach you we can approach the Father with confidence. What a privilege you have given to us. Help us to love you for it 
And Lord, would you embolden us and empower us to tell others of this marvelous good news as well. Oh, we pray this because of what you have made possible. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand?